It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Yeah, now remember, oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Terrible. I didn't see a plane go in. That... That just exploded. I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did? I just, that was out of up Yeah, so that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center. Did you see what happened? What happened? Well, I was in the past train, and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out. A large section of the building is blown out. Said it, uh, they are now saying that a plane incredibly has crashed into the Pentagon. Folks, you're not another aircraft unbelievably has crashed into the Pentagon. This is a preliminary wire. We seem to confirm this, but this word just into us from our newsroom that perhaps another aircraft went in there. with you on this morning. This is the day after 9-11, but because we were not together yesterday, I couldn't share that time, and I'm not going to let it go by. I'll tell you why I'm not going to let it go by. There's a headline that I just uh, got from Just the News as I was studying over the weekend. Two decades later, most schools aren't required to teach students about 9-11. It was the most devastating attack, uh, second only, well, for, you know, it was worse than Pearl Harbor, that started World War, our involvement in World War II. 3,000 Americans, nearly 3,000, uh, met their death in the World Trade Center and also with the third plane that went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was an attack from Muslims uh, who were Sharia adherent. Uh, Muslim extremists, people want to say, but I, I have to explain to you that's exactly what the Muslim doctrine teaches, that you kill or convert the infidel. This was not 
This was not by some uh, fringe group of Islam. It was the, the people, like, they would be the evangelicals of the Muslim world. For those of us that really believe in Scripture, uh, we believe what it says and we live by it. We, we would be the Sharia-compliant Christians. These are Sharia-compliant Muslims. Millions of Muslims claim to be Muslim, but they don't take their teaching seriously uh, until you know their more fervent brethren kill them if they don't. But we don't do that in Christianity. Nevertheless, this came from Sharia-adherent Muslim, Muslims. Why do I know that? I know a lot about this, actually, because before 9-11 ever happened, uh, there was a raid that uh, it, it's actually a fascinating story. I should bring Frank in to talk to me about this. I got to know Frank Gaffney uh, over this issue. We got to be very, very good friends because of this. In Annandale, Virginia, uh, before this ever happened, there was a discovery of a 30-year plan by Muslim Brotherhood to destroy the America from the inside. And I, um, I have in my hand an, what's called an explanatory memorandum from the archives of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. Uh, it is stunning. Uh, you can get it actually at uh, uh, Center for Security Pol- Policy. That's Frank Gaffney's organization. But what uh, I remember from it, because I used to talk about this a lot on on, the, on television and radio, was they had determined that they were going to destroy what their terms were, destroy their miserable house from within. And they had a plan. And uh, first of all, that they would infiltrate and they would uh, set a play down. Uh, they, w- they were given special permission to not live a Sharia-compliant life in order to sort of deceive Americans, and they would find their way into the mainstream. Uh, they, would, um, they would infiltrate various sectors of government. And they would gain religious institutions and embrace senior scholars. They would gain a public support and sympathy. Uh, they would exercise their power through political pressure first. Uh, they would seize power to establish their Islamic nation under which all parties and Islamic groups are re- um, united. They would expand expl- Muslim presence by birth rate, immigration, refusal to assimilate. Uh, they would occupy and expand domination of physical space- spaces. They would ensure that the Muslim community knows and follows Muslim Brotherhood doctrine. Uh, they would co-opt key leadership, and I could go on and on. They would set up a shadow government, and uh, I would say they had a 30-year plan, and uh, it's been 21 years since the uh, taking down of you know the World Trade Center by those uh, Muslim uh, bombers, bo- Muslim pilots, um, the, and the one that landed in Shakesville. They're doing really well, I have to say, and we'll have to talk about that on a different day. That's why I've been accused of being Islamophobic. I was listed as one of the 10 women who are, I don't know, Islamophobic, I guess, uh, uh, you would see us in a list put out by the Southern Poverty Law Center because I've spoken the truth about this and we'll continue to do that because it's not gone away. And with that fiasco that happened in Afghanistan, they only unleashed the power of the Sharia-compliant Muslims in that failure and that shameful withdrawal. They are there now training, gearing up for whatever it is they have planned. And we know what they have planned because they laid it out for us. It was in that home in Annandale, Virginia, which is not far from the heart of Washington, D.C., used to be a beautiful community. It still is in some areas, some great, genteel, beautiful homes. But they know exactly what they're doing, and that's what they plan to do. And also, because schools are not teaching this, they're not teaching anything about that. In fact, quite the opposite. Our children are learning, you know, to be uh, friendly to Islamic doctrine. Some are even, uh, you know, told to pray the the Muslim prayer of acceptance, Uh 
And so um, then you add this extra danger. This happened over the weekend where Jake Tapper interviewed uh, Kamala Harris. And basically, this is his question to her, Chuck Todd, sorry, Chuck Todd. He said, look, uh, we're at the 21st um, marking, if, it, if you will, of the September 11th attacks. This was a foreign terrorist, terrorist attacking our democracy, attacking this country. We're now, as a nation, battling a threat from within. Is this threat equal or greater than the one we faced after 9-11? Do you see the inference? You and I, so defined by Joe Biden in his speech, what, last week ago, last Thursday night, are a danger to democracy, just like those uh, Sharia-compliant Muslims who flew those planes into the World Trade Center and killed 3,000 Americans. We are on equal footing with this. That's why I will not be quiet about this. And that's why I play, I want you to remember what 9-11 was all about, uh, because your children are not taught it. And you can, you can still find plenty of things online to teach your kids. And I would encourage you to do that. They need to know the truth of what happened that day. And you can also order that book that I just talked about from Center for Security Policy. I want to read you some insight from uh, Barbara Olson was a very well-known pundit back in the 90s. I knew her, I knew her through radio because I interviewed her all the time in Chicago so that when I got to D.C., I, I knew a lot of people there just because I had you build relationships once you interview people over a course of time. Barbara was married to uh, the uh, solicitor to the Supreme Court, Ted Olson. Uh, she, had a, she was just a delightful person. Uh, she went down in Flight uh, 77 in Shanksville. Um, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, Barb was on a 93, I think. Um, but she went down. She actually called her husband before the plane uh, hit the ground, uh, hit the tower. And I want to. Re- or she was the one that went down the Pentagon. I'm so sorry to be confusing here. Just I'm trying to juggle a bunch of thoughts right now, and I need to think. Uh, Barbara Olson uh, was one of those people that went down, and they have a recording of her calling her son, her husband Ted, to tell him goodbye. There were so many heroes on that day. This is from a national security friend, and I want to share with you what he says. I just finished my annual commitment to listen to the air traffic controllers tape from that dark day. There's so much that's chilling in those exchanges by civilian traffic, air traffic controllers as each one tries to unravel and grapple with what's going on. And through it all, the controllers never lose their cool. They calmly transmit the unbelievable unfolding events and try to make sense of it all. Then there's a call from a flight attendant huddling in the back of American Flight Fight, Flight 11. She evidently doesn't have official numbers to call, so she calls the flight attendant office of the American Airlines in Boston where they took off. A wondrous woman from that office calls Boston's Air Traffic Controller Center and slowly conveys, as dictated by this flight attendant, the blood splattered through the cabinet cabin. Her wounded fellow flight attendants who were knifed by the hijackers and the men who have stormed the cockpit. The controller, control, the controller calmly takes this in. And then there is a dawning realization of an operator at Otis Air Force Base when an air traffic controller asks for fighter support. The base operator asks... Is this an exercise or real world? The controller simply barks, real world. And then there's the story of these pilots, and one of them is featured in Epoch Times this morning, Heather Penny. She was just a new pilot, and she and her, uh, the main pilot on her flight, actually took off and were prepared to go after uh, these planes and ram them to stop them from killing any more Americans. It's a tremendously dramatic 
uh, story. And of course, they ended up not having to do that because of the uh, the passengers on Flight 77. One of its, which was Todd Beamer, who was a graduate of Wheaton College, who famously called his wife and to try to tell her what was happening on that flight. And they realized by the time they'd been in the air that the two other planes had hit the World Trade Center, they knew that their plane, because of the way the pilot was flying, fighting, flying, was headed toward D.C. And rather than let those Islamic Sharia-compliant Sharia pilots kill more Americans and hit Washington in such a damaging way, uh, they took control of that plane, tried to take control of the plane. They organized themselves and uh, tried to, uh, to take on the cockpit, and they were all killed. And the last thing you hear Todd Beamer say on that tape is, let's roll. I'm taking the time to tell you this because I want to remind you that just 21 years ago in this country, we had so much courage displayed on that day. And God was evident on that day in so many ways. Do you remember the cross that appeared at the base of the World Trade Center uh, wreckage? Not the wreckage, that doesn't even capture it. Devastation, gutted out buildings, People melted, you know, firemen who rushed into the blaze, rushed into the buildings and risked their lives. All those pilots who were ready to kill themselves to save others. And I have to tell you, that's I went to D.C. two weeks after this happened. I was in North Korea when this happened. I'm not going to tell you the story again today. Uh, but I came back to D.C. where the Pentagon was still smoldering. And this is the way I entered the scene in Washington. And it was filled with buzz and the intention to fight back and preserve this country. It was an amazing time. And yet, as I see in the 20 years ensuing, I see a weakness, a conciliation. Deborah Burlingame, who was the sister of the pilot, Chick Burlingame, who went down on Flight uh, 77 in that Shanksville, uh, Pennsylvania field, wrote an incredible story after that called Divided We Fall, where she talks about uh, how they... The 9-11 Commission hearings, for instance, succeeded in turning this, the most stunning and deadly attack on the U.S. homeland, into another Beltway soap opera. And that's just a hint of what she writes about, how the news media takes these capsulizes, takes stories, and then crafts it into their own narrative. It's still happening. Don't let them do it. It was real. It was a real-world experience, and we need to remember it. All right, when I, we return, uh, something more down to earth, and we'll be back in just a second to discuss it. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings, very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for James Rodriguez, Assistant Secretary for Veterans Employment and Training Service, our veterans. He is responsible for preparing America's vets, service members, and their spouses for meaningful careers. Colossians 3.23 reminds us of the importance of hard work. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Almighty God, we ask for guidance for James Rodriguez and his work for U.S. veterans. We ask this in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. A lot of folks around Memphis, Tennessee, say the violence on our streets does not really represent who we are. This isn't Memphis. That's what they're saying. But it is Memphis. We are a violent city. Statistically, we are one of the most violent cities in America. It doesn't have to be that way, but it is. Memphis is broken. The politicians don't care. One side coddles criminals, the other side fancies cocktail parties. The churches sure don't care, preaching sermons that don't ruffle too many feathers. The schools don't care. For them, it's all about re-engineering what God created, teaching the kids to hate America. The parents don't care. They've raised a generation that thinks they're entitled to what you have. Our city is broken and wounded. The media says that marches and vigils and summits are the path to fixing what's broken in Memphis, but I know that not to be true. There's only one who can heal the brokenhearted and bind up the wounds of Memphis and America. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. And this court took that constitutional right away. And we are suffering as a nation because of it. That causes me great concern about the integrity of the court overall. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, this is, uh, you know, the nation is just a... in turmoil because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, according to her and according to the media, we have chaos. You know, devastation is occurring as states go back and try to wrestle with what they'd like their abortion laws to be. That's what's happening. Molly Hemingway was on, uh, I believe, Fox News Sunday on yesterday, and she made an observation that we're going to talk about today. Uh, here's Molly. Yeah, I think this is a very important issue. Obviously, Democrats are focusing on abortion because they don't have anything else to run on. The general mood of the country is that people are very frustrated with the direction of the country. The economy is obviously bad. The border is bad. Foreign policy is not going well. So they don't have anything else. But I do think it's important for Republicans to push back on some of this misinformation and disinformation that's getting spread in the media. The Dobbs decision does enable Americans to have a say in abortion in a way that they couldn't under Roe v. Wade. And it's 
Actually, a majority of Americans think that abortion should either be illegal or illegal in some circumstances. Three out of four Americans think there should be restrictions on abortion. 63% believe abortion should be illegal after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which is around the time that an unborn child feels pain. So I think Republicans are shying away from the issue when in fact they should be hitting hard and understanding that the moderate viewpoint is something enabled through this Dobbs decision. All right. And that's exactly what we want to talk about, because no doubt Republican establishment figures who hold, uh, you know, carry, have power over the campaign dollars, over the messaging, are instructing Republican candidates around the country not to talk about abortion. That's why Paul Caprio is joining us this morning. Paul is a dear friend of mine. That's not the highest on his resume, though. He's the director of Family Pack Federal. Uh, He's the founder of Patriotic Veterans and also One Nation Under God uh, Paul is one of those guys that you may never see his name in the history books, uh, but he has done so much behind the scenes to save this country that people will ever know, and, and that's why he's such a good friend. We've kind of done a few things together to try to make a difference, and uh, he's a one-man powerhouse, and he joins me this morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Sandy. All right, so you are so exorcised about this that you wrote a letter to the editor, I think to the Wall Street Journal, right? Yes, I did. Well, let's talk about that. You wrote that. The catalyst for that was the New York um, race in 19, where Pat Ryan beat uh, Molinaro, uh, who was the GOP candidate. Can you just talk about what happened there? Yeah. Well, there the, stra- the failed strategy began with the party line, both in the Senate and the House of the GOP leadership, uh, telling people as soon as Dobbs decision came down to say the big issue is inflation uh abortion is not an issue <laughs> if you could believe that that and that we they were telling that to every single candidate across the united states running federally okay and i began objecting to that saying actually it's not only nonsense in terms of the abortion discussion the, <laughs> in my opinion it's a it's a complete a diversion from the overall issues facing the country, which is the attack on freedom in every area of our lives. You know, you you pick it out, and that's the theme. That should be the theme of their overall campaign. But I'm not running their overall campaign. But if you're telling candidates to say abortion's not an issue, then they're going to say nothing, and that leaves that campaign to the gentle devices of the radical left. And they come in, as Sean Mahoney, their campaign chairman, said uh, on Fox News two weeks ago, every Republican wants to outlaw contraception all over the United States. And there was no response by the Republican counter. So this is why they lost a seat. And by the way, New York Right to Life an organization that my late dear mother was once a member of, um, that that organization did not endorse the Republican candidate. Pro-lifers stayed at home. That's why they lost New York 19 on a su- summer day in New York in a special election because voters, Christians, and other voters who are pro-life stayed home. You know, Paul, we've been fighting this battle for so long. And I recently I've talked about it on the air because of certain races where people, you know, Republicans now, it wasn't always this way because you remember in the 80s it wasn't so popular 
popular to be pro-life, but now they're all pro-life. They're pro-life. They run, uh, you know, they'll say that in their list of things that they are, but when push comes to shove, this is what they do. Uh, like Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell. They don't want to talk about this. They don't really, it's really not as big an issue for them as they like to boast. Well, you're right. But let me say this, post-Dobbs, and keep in mind, we are in the year of the angry parents, as I told Senator Johnson last year, who who asked me, what do you think is going to be the major deciding issue? I said, the major deciding issue is angry parents. As Glenn Youngkin just proved in Virginia, by the way, and we know all the different reasons why traditional parents in this country have a right to be angry. Uh, so we, we have two things going on at the same time. We have a tremendous parents' rights movement uh, if the Republican candidates are willing to acknowledge it and energize it on one hand. And then we have post-Dobbs, which means as... Molly Hemingway just correctly articulated very well. Uh, what it means is two things. Okay, in Mississippi, there's going to be a 15-week ban. In the, in, but what they were saying, more importantly, is there's no federal right, constitutional right, of abortion. So everything is now back into the states. We have 50 serious battles. And our objective should be, in every single state, save as many lives as you can. And it's different in different states. But the other point I'd like to, if you don't mind, have a little breaking news this morning, and that's that. The Democrats are no longer the pro-choice party. For years, they wore a mask. They said, we're in favor of choice. Let, let women's do, do what they want to do. We just want to give them the option for abortion, right? Well, no, wrong today, because now they have come out Abortion, not only abortion on demand in every single state, not only making illegal parental notification in every 50 state, that's what every one of them have voted for, short of Manchin and Cuellar. Every single Democrat has voted for that. And now the party line is very much as many abortions as possible. We'll fund abortions everywhere. We'll smuggle minors across state lines to uh, get them abortions. We will do everything possible to encourage every young minor, every young woman to have an abortion. So they're leading they're they're leading a depopulation effort in this country, among other things. So, Paul, let me just sort of uh, let me talk to the listeners just for a second. So, what we're talking about here now? Look, you and I are very actually very pragmatic as 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 committed as we are to principle. We also understand political realities. So, some people might be listening to this discussion and say, "Yeah, but we I agree they shouldn't talk about it right now because it's such a hot button issue." But you have very pragmatic reasons. Uh, statistics, reasons why uh, the Republicans, this is, speaking pragmatically, politically, this is a great issue for them. And let me repeat what you just said. This Women's Health Protection Act passed in the House by the House Democrats provided for abortion through all nine months. It protects sex-selective abortion. So if you don't want a boy, you can abort it. If you don't want a girl, you want a boy this time, you can abort it. And it um, undercuts all the state parental notification laws, which is what you're talking about with parental movement. Let's talk about why that makes – explain, put it in clear language, uh, Paul, what Republican candidates should be saying. 
what everyone of, and I might say, it's not just the incumbents, because believe me, virtually every Democrat non-incumbent you can find, they're taking the blood money from Planned Parenthood, they're taking the blood money from NARAL, ACLU, and all these related pro-abortion groups. Uh, So they're all on the same page. And it's exactly what we just said, uh, abortion until the second of birth, uh, which is, uh, as we all know, that's the most dangerous of all abortions. Uh, And secondly, doing away with the right of every parent in this country to know in advance whether or not their daughter has been talked into getting an abortion. Now, that's Now, that is all what I just said. That is supported by less than 20 percent of American voters. So they're on the side of 20 percent. We should be on the side of the 80 percent. And we can if we just understand what is it now under Dobbs the federal government should be doing and what can we do in every single state to uh, save lives in that state. And it's going to be different. You know, I want to. You gave some stats in your letter to the Wall Street Journal, uh, and I, I want to repeat them, because on the first issue about abortion being legal for all nine months, a Gallup poll, and Gallup is not a conservative poll, uh, they say that 55 percent of Americans believe that abortion should be illegal in the second trimester. In the second trimester, and on the issue of uh, su- supporting parental notification, 70 percent of voters say, "Yeah, parents." should be notified. So the, the pragmatic part about this is this is a no-brainer, Paul, for Republican candidates and for Republican leaders. This is a winning issue for them, but they refuse to embrace it. Why do you think that is? I think because they have been told, unfortunately, we hope this changes. You know, things can change. Messaging can change. That's what we're attempting to do, to get them on the side to, as a campaign issue not just to energize uh, all of our pro-life troops and pro-family troops in the country, to, but, you know, you don't do that by saying abortion is not important. If you have a candidate saying abortion is not important, then you know what the candidate, you know what the, the voters do? They do the same thing they did in New York 19. They either don't vote the candidate or they stay home. Well, it, it, you so, know, uh, so Kevin, McCa- uh, Kevin uh, McCarthy is getting ready to release some sort of a plan or a program. And because I, you know, Axios has given us a hint at what it's going to say, but it doesn't, as far as I can tell, Paul, at this point, uh, it doesn't say anything about abortion. Is, is it possible uh, to change that? Uh, is it possible to get him to be more specific about that? Is that possible? Well, I, I think it is. Uh, I, I hope it is. We pray it is. Uh, This is the year, frankly, this is the greatest opportunity to advance the cause of life and traditional parents' rights in any year that I have ever been involved in politics, which, as you know, Sandy, is way too long. (laughs) But uh, we have tremendous opportunity. But why would we walk away in this environment and, and have candidates saying abortion's not an issue. By the way, they have now begun a little to acknowledge the radical nature of what the Democrats voted for in the Women's Health Care Protection Act. Every Democrat except Henry Cuellar from Texas, okay? They, they're beginning to say that. 
but they don't have a positive agenda to say, and by the way, at the federal level, this is what we would do. Here's what we're going to keep. We're going to fight to keep the Hyde Amendment. We're going to talk parental notification, not just for abortion. What about transgender experimentation and other serious surgery uh, taking place on minors? Uh, these and they're the missing all of, of that. They're refusing to yeah, talk about all of that. What about, what, what about protecting doctors and healthcare providers in, in, uh, in hospitals from having, being forced to perform abortions? Yeah. See, these are the kinds of issues that they ought to be focused on. Um, you know, it's not as dramatic as saying we're going to have, you know, a 15-week ban. But I'll, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, um, we have got – ha- our standard has to be now we have to use this year to protect every human life. And I'm going to tell you something. By the way, a 15-week ban is not the same as polling the sec- second trimester because the second trimester, as you know, is 13 to 24 weeks. So it's, it is a little different. Second semester, public is generally split, you know, whether it's 50, 55. Parental notice around this country, 75% of voters agree. Taxpayer-funded abortion, I'm sorry, taxpayer funding of abortion, somewhere between 65 and 70% of people are opposed to it. Paul, we only have one minute left. We only have one minute left. Uh, What can people do? What can just the average citizen, my listeners, what can they do about this? Uh, What they what they can do if if they have a Republican candidate who says that they're pro-life, they should call them and say uh, the the 15 week ban that's being promoted supposedly by some in the pro-life movement is something that never can pass. It will not pass the Senate under any set of circumstances. I don't care who wins the election. It won't pass. So let's get the things we can get that, get, that are part of, they will be a part of a compromise in the budget if the Republicans win the House. We can get a stronger Hyde Amendment. We can get parental notification. We can get protections for religious freedom. We, that's all we can do in the federal level, and we can yeah. do a lot more. In Ohio, we're defending the heartbeat yes. bill. Okay, and, so uh, there's a lot of work to do around the country in all these states, all the people that are listening. South Carolina just had an important decision on this just a couple of days ago. Uh, but it's important to fight back, and that's what we're encouraging you to do. Paul Caprio, thank you so much, Paul. Sandy Rios in the morning. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. I love this country. But can I tell you something? I love the Lord more than I love this country. And I love the body of Christ more than I love this country. So it is because I love you, frankly, I have to tell the truth. There are many that are more concerned with the consequences in our nation than we are about the cause. The Hamilton Quarter. 
Weekday afternoons at 5 Central on American Family Radio. The wicked borrow and does not pay back. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Mr. Robinette announced his administration's plan to cancel $10,000 of student loan debt for borrowers with individual incomes under $125,000 annually. Pell Grant recipients get up to $20,000 in cancellation. There's about $1.6 trillion in American student loan debt. 50% of it is carried by people who borrowed money to finance graduate school, medical school, law school, and Ph.D. studies. The other half is owed by people who finance two-year and four-year degrees, which likely includes later postgraduate students. You can't disappear debt. It isn't being canceled. It's being reapportioned. The American taxpayer pays for PhDs we didn't sign up for. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse, and there is no one who knows you better. And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, the truth is that a few days ago, a political reporter called several people and said, hey, have you heard or have you been served yet? The FBI is going to be serving 50 approximately search warrants and or subpoenas on Trump supporters. And then, you know, within 24 hours of that, two of our clients, three of our clients actually did either get search warrants or subpoenas. And these subpoenas are extremely broad. They're from the Capitol Siege section of the United States uh, Department of Justice's uh, DC office. And they ask for broad categories of documents. They ask for all communications dating from a month before the election until a month, two months after the election. And they ask for all communications regarding uh, dozens of people. And the categories are alternate electors, uh, fundraising around irregularities around the election, and also a, a uh, rally that happened before the January 6th uh, situation at the Capitol. So the Save America rally that happened. And so basically, most of this activity, if not all of it, is protected by the First Amendment. And the United States Department of Justice is telling reporters about these search warrants and subpoenas before they're executed. There's no other explanation for this. And I think the reason for this is to instill fear into Donald Trump supporters and into those who would challenge election irregularities right before an upcoming election, Tucker. So this is really outrageous abuse by the DOJ, and it is illegal for the DOJ to leak this information to the media, Tucker. All right, that was Harmi Dillon, and as she said, she was on Tucker Carlson last night, and earlier in, on the day on Friday, I got in my inbox the notice that 50 
uh, Trump supporters had been uh, either searched or issued search warrants and grand jury subpoenas just suddenly like a like a like a nonviolent Kristallnacht. Uh, and it's a huge story. And I just want to point out that to my knowledge, Fox, except for Tucker, Friday night, there's nothing on their news page. I searched it. They don't, it's like it's a non-story. It's not a non-story. It's a huge story. Uh, uh, Harmeet uh, represents women for, for, for America First. They've been targeted for their peaceful First Amendment protected speech about the 2020 election. Uh, and that's what they're trying to do. I'm, we'll be talking about Eagle Form of Alabama tomorrow during the show about how the Justice Department is going after them. It's on a different issue, but it's the same tactic. And so Steve Bannon also um, was in an interview with Charlie Kirk, and I think this is actually the first source for conservatives of this story. Now, remember, Harmeet just said that an, a, um, a, a reporter from Politico was calling conservative Trump supporters and asking them if they had been subpoenaed yet. So somebody leaked the information, at least to a political reporter. And so I have been able to find some news from some of the leftist publications, but not from, you know, not from Fox, which, remember, it's not trustworthy anymore, with the exception of, like, Maria Bartiroma, with the exception of Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and I'm not every, I'm not listing everyone, but there are some is what I'm trying to make, make the point. So Steve Bannon said uh, that... Uh, he said to Ch- to Charlie Kirk, there's another grand jury coming together on January the 6th. All of these people have lawyers. The jackbooted Gestapo has to show up at, that do- at their door and make a big display of this. And does anybody wonder about it? What did President Biden just say last week? What in the world did he say? As a matter of fact, let's re-listen so we can remember. This is clip eight, Adam. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. It wasn't divisive. The way that we saw the speech uh, is that he was talking you know what, to that's a, we don't need to the hear her. Of the country. Enough, enough of that. Uh, but you heard what he said. This is this is what's happening. So he comes out and he says this in his unity speech, and now the Justice Department is going after Trump supporters, and people like Fox are not reporting it. This is a huge story. This is a huge story. You remember I had John Zadrozny on last week. Uh, John is an attorney with uh, America First Legal. Uh, that's uh, an organization that was founded and chaired by Stephen Miller, who was one of President uh, Trump's top advisors. Now Stephen is one of the persons that's being investigated. He's one of the people that was hit. You remember, if you listened, uh, I don't expect you to remember this, but I remember saying to John, John, have you guys been, have you had any harassment from the Justice Department? Are you expecting anything like this? And he said, so far, no, we haven't had anything. And then what, the next day, or then two days later, whether, I don't know when I had John on, Stephen Miller now is uh, on that list. And then uh, Steve Bannon, I want to just, Steve, I've known Steve for a long time, by the way, uh, he turned himself in because he's such a criminal. Uh, the New York, uh, he's already been, uh, these charges have already been uh, vetted in a lower court, but now the uh, New York courts are bringing him back in, subpoenaing him. So he turned himself in. He's charged with six counts, including money laundering in the second degree, a scheme to defraud in the first degree. And this is from Fox News. Of course, they don't like Steve. They like establishment Republicans. Just remember that. Even Shannon Breen, who's now taking over Fox News Sunday, I love Shannon. 
I really do love Shannon. She is a strong Christian. I have great respect for her. But um, she, her guests were like John Tester, and you know, someone's influencing uh, who she has on her show. And I think she is restrained. Maybe she does that voluntarily. I don't know. Uh, but uh, that's uh, the tone of Fox is that they, you know, they're going to ignore this kind of stuff. So, uh, just days after being, sw- this is Stevens, Steve Bannon's comments. I want to read them to you. Just days after being swatted three different times by deranged thugs from the New York City inspired by the Biden administration to assassinate me by police, the Soros-backed DA has now decided to pursue phony charges against me 60 days before the midterm election because War Room is the major source of the MAGA grassroots movement. The Southern District of New York did the exact same thing in August of 2020 to try to take me out of the election. It didn't work then. It certainly won't work now. This is nothing more than a partisan political weaponization of the criminal justice system. And one last comment by Steve Bannon. Steve, you may not know, he was a a U.S. Naval commander. Steve has an incredible resume. He's got courage beyond courage. I've never seen a man work the way he works. He always looks like like he slept in his clothes because I think most of the time he does. Uh, because he just works around the clock. He's an amazing man. And um, uh, so this is his last comment, uh, at least in this article. I am proud to be a leading voice on protecting our borders and building a wall to keep our country safe from drugs and violent criminals. The War Room show will be more vital, more intense, more urgent, and bigger this time. They are coming after all of us, not only President Trump and myself. I am never going to stop fighting. In fact, I have not yet begun to fight. They will have to kill me first. And so, um, you know, courage breeds courage, and I wanted you to hear Steve's uh, words, and of course he means that. Uh, Steve's a brilliant strategist. I have great respect for him, and I was just thrilled when he went to work for President Trump as the chief of staff. But you, And he kept a big, you know, ch- uh, whiteboard in his office uh, with a big thing that said, keep your promises, and he had written down all of President Trump's promises on the campaign trail. And that became a battle between him and uh, people like the son-in-law, uh, uh, I can't even, I'm just going crazy, but the, whatever the son-in-law's name is, who's now has a book and is out on tour, uh, that was always a battle because he didn't think that was important, and Steve thought it was very important. All right, I want to, um, so, <laughs> I know you don't know these people, it's still far removed, but it's not far removed when you think what they're doing to January 6th, 6ers, and there's a lot more information on that today that I'm not, not going to get to. I will get to it, uh, but we see what's happening. We see clearly. We see with the establishment of uh, sending out 88,000 more IRS agents, we know exactly what they're doing. We are not fools, uh, but we are like Steve Bannon. We need to just be ready, just be ready. And you know what? God has always said to us we should hold everything loosely. We sh- nothing should matter more to us. And Now, that's except the gospel, faithfulness to the gospel. I understand that, and there's, these are not the same. And yet they are related uh, because all truth is God's truth. We serve the God of truth. And if we're willing to give up the truth, like, um, I don't know, like think of Martin Luther. He's supposed to discount uh, that he thought the Pope should not give, you know, indulgences to people and sell them. Now, that doesn't, that seems like a kind of a surface issue, right? But Martin Luther would not recant on that because he believed it. And he thought he was going to be martyred, and he nearly was. And so I'm just saying, uh, all truth is God's truth, and whether it's you know something out of verse three of John, uh, or if it's out of the news, a truth is truth. And to the extent that you're willing to d- deny truth to save yourself, that's not good. I don't think God 
would honor that. He says to us in Revelation that cowards will not enter. Cowards are listed right along with homosexuals, uh, murderers, thieves, uh, cowards, not cowards, will not enter the kingdom. Do not be a coward. Uh, Make up right now your mind to stand strong. And I'm talking to myself too. Do you think I don't think of this? I think of this all the time. I've been thinking about this for you know, decades about what God might require of me at some point. Come to reckon with that about, you know, your stand. Decide ahead of time how you're going to behave. Don't wait and see how it pans out. You know, determine now to be strong, whatever comes your way. Uh, I want to just close with something really actually delightful, um, if I could. You know, um, since we last spoke a couple of days ago, Queen Elizabeth II died. Uh, And let me just, I know you've seen a lot of things about this by now, but I just want to include some things that maybe you haven't heard. She was 96 years old. She was the second Queen Elizabeth. The first Queen Elizabeth was quite a character, Uh, but so was Queen Elizabeth II. She's the longest person who's ever served as a a sovereign uh, in Britain, 70 years, I think, on the throne. She is the um, ruler of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, the head of the Commonwealth, and she died last Thursday. Uh, she died at Balmoral, which is in Scotland. That was her favorite haunt. And you know what? You may not. She was, um, you know, a mechanic. <laughs> she learned how to fix cars and drive jeeps uh, as a girl during World War II. And Bal- Balmoral, out in Scotland, was where she could roam around and she could go down to the village and just be a normal person. She loved that place. And you know, she was actually what last Monday or Tuesday entertaining the new uh, Prime Minister of England in her home. You see a picture of her. She has the most delightful, beautiful, beautiful countenance, which I could tell you a lot more details, but I want to I get into this because, because this is so important. Uh, this was when she was inaugurated in, I think, 1950-whatever that was. I'll find that in just a second. Uh, she made a speech to her people. This is 1957. She was very young when her dad, dad died suddenly. And this will kind of uh, introduce what I want to say to you. This is clip two. I cannot lead you into battle. I do not give you laws or administer justice, but I can do something else. I can give you my heart and my devotion to these old islands and to all the peoples of our brotherhood of nations. So that was just a touch of her faith. You know, Christianity Today, who, of whom I'm not a fan anymore, this great article, I thank them for this. Queen Elizabeth II, British monarch who put her trust in God. And I want to cover this while we're ending the show today. Uh, She said in 1952, I want to ask you all, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day. She meant that day that she's going to be uh, crowned. To pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. Now, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, she was the head of the Church of England. She appointed archbishops. I know that for years the Archbishop of Canterbury was actually a strong Christian, and I had no idea she had something to do with that, so that was interesting to me. She said in 2000, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. In 2002, her mother died, her Princess Margaret died, and in the Christmas address that year, she said, I know just how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, 
to give of my best in all that that day brings, and to put my trust in God. She always cited references to Scripture. Uh, She said in one Christmas broadcast, To what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in the treasure house, the Bible? In 2016, in her address, she said, Billions of people now follow Christ's teachings and find in Him the guiding light for their lives. I'm one of them because Christ's example helps me to see the value in doing small things with great love. Whoever does them and whatever they themselves believe. She was a confidant of Billy Graham. Uh, you may or may not know this. There's, it's been in different sources. I've seen it portrayed not flatteringly, I think, in The Crown. Uh, but Billy Graham went to see uh, by her request. Uh, they met often, and that part's probably not known. He didn't just go see her once, uh, they met several times and worshiped. You know, did she, he said that she loved the Bible, she loved the gospel, and they had a real bond because of that. Um, you know, I just think when she died, by the way, a double rainbow appeared over Buckingham Palace uh, as the members of the public were outside to pay their respects. You may have seen that last Thursday. The rainbow could be seen over major landmarks across the capital, including Elizabeth Tower in Westminster and the Queen Victoria Memorial. Now, okay, you might say that's an accident, and it might have been, but I do seem to remember that God did send that rainbow as a sign when he first gave it. And it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility to me at all that he would send that rainbow uh, as a woman who loved him so much and had such impact on the world, uh, you know, reached the gates of heaven that he would send the rainbow. I just think it's a beautiful story and a great woman has died. But, you know, let me remind you that God is at work God is at work. I hope to tell you more stories about this because I see his hand everywhere. And even though I tell you discouraging, depressing things every day, I trust him more and more because his actions will be more and more bold as we hurtle toward, you know, the darkness, the light will be brighter. You know it will be. So let's get excited, not dreading. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.